Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Well, I have already asked you the question, if you were willing to permission God to do something different, I... I now want to add to that question this observation that when we are not willing to allow God to change things, move things, do differently, typically that is a fear issue, fear or despair. At the end of uh, the service, we will gather again around the table and um, as we always do, we will, we will invite folks to, to participate at the table and then find a place to pray. And, and today, uh, my hope is that we will be able to make these altars uh, into the safest possible place to bring your fear or your despair. Um, sort of announcing that now so that you can kind of think through what you might bring with you to this altar. And in fact, let me just say this to us now that I normally reserve for later in the service. You, you will not be alone. It turns out uh, you will not be the only people suffering fear or despair. And you will know that because other people at some point, someone is going to touch you. That's sort of a core value here as it has to do with the altar. Someone will touch you while you're praying here to give you a tangible expression of the solidarity of God and the people of God. So just know that that is coming um, as we approach the table and the altar. We are in the midst, this is week five of a sermon series entitled Dead Weight, and every week we sort of recap it like this, okay, what, are, what is it that you need to cut away? What is the dead weight that keeps you from living into God's future? What is it that keeps you from being all uh, that God wants you to be? Maybe better said, what is it that keeps us from being all that God wants us to be? Because God wants us to be a lot. God wants us to be, as we move toward the Easter season, not just a day, but a season, as we move toward that season, God wants us to be a tangible, tangible, I keep using that word, a tangible expression of the victory over the cross, the victory of the resurrection the first fruits of all that God wants to do in all of creation here, by the way, here. God wants the church to be where all of that is seen, where it all begins. And all God's people said, hopefully, a big... Okay, because I got a few deer in the headlights still out there today. Like, what? So what is it that keeps us from being those people? What, what needs to be cut away? And we have used this particular movie as a, as a helpful image. This is Mendoza in the movie The Mission. And De Niro's character, Mendoza, is guilty. He's guilty of all kinds of things, including murder. <laughs> He's a warrior. He is a soldier. And his priest, played by Jeremy Irons, suggests that he should package up all of his sins and the tools of his sins and drag them around as penance, just drag them around. Well, he drags them everywhere across, his, across fields and, and up the sides of cliffs and across rivers, and, and finally they reach the Guarani people, 
the people that Mendoza actually would capture and sell into slavery, and the Guarani people actually approach Mendoza with a very sharp knife. And I'm sure everyone involved thought, well, this is the end. They are going to exact some vengeance here. But what they do, rather than slit his throat, they cut away this burden, this weight. And he is free at that point to be something, someone different. Now, the way the movie plays out, you, you have the question at the end of the movie, was he someone different? But in that moment, you can see it, an expression on his face here, he was allowed to be something different. He was no longer trapped by the kind of fear and despair that people around here seem to be trapped by at various times. And, and here's kind of how I know that this is true. Do you recognize either one of these people? Okay. After Super Tuesday, <laughs> there was an unbelievable number of people who Google searched the following, how to move to Canada. <laughs> so many people Google searched, how do we move to Canada, <laughs> that it made national news. So many people actually did the work of trying to figure out how we might actually live in Canada that it shut down some Canadian websites meant to help people to know where to live in Canada. So many people have inquired about particular places in Canada that real estate prices have gone through the roof because now it seems, no matter who wins, lots of folks are apparently moving to Canada in despair, in despair, perhaps even fear. Now, your candidate may not be up here, but I can promise you there are people who are really worried about your candidate too. <laughs> there are folks who are in great despair that your candidate might somehow be elected. There are some folks who are considering moving to Canada because your candidate might be elected. And many of those people are Christian. What does it say about a people understood as Christian because we so willingly wear the labels? What does it say about a group of people when there's such deep despair that they would consider relocating to a different country dependent on the outcome of an election? What does it say about a people who seem to believe that their futures lie more in the hands of a person elected, frankly, to the highest office in the land and, and the most powerful office perhaps in the world? Sure. What does it say about people who believe that their futures are more determined by one of those people than by the God of the universe? What does that say about us? It's, it's not just a political discussion, is it? <laughs> it's not just a political discussion, though. Because Christians' fears aren't just political. The Christian capacity to suffer despair and to wonder, to wonder, and sometimes out loud, is God God or not? That's certainly not a, a subject matter that's limited to politics. 
Hopefully, you recognize that we do theology around here. I want us to be a church that practices theology. You should know this, though. The way that we, we, we practice theology here, this is very important. We honor what was and what has been in order to have eyes for today and courage and hope for tomorrow. Okay, I'm going to say it again because I worked really hard on that, and I really think you ought to write that down somewhere, all right? So hear, hear me now, hear me. We honor what was and what has been in order to have eyes for today and hope and courage for tomorrow. Listen, the theologizing we do around here is not backwards focused. The theologizing we do around here looks forward. Here's why. Because God is the God of the future. (laughs) Because God's future is our calling. Is is everybody with me so far? I mean, some of you are are nodding really hard. You're going to need to see a chiropractor. I like that. (laughs) And some of you aren't sure because there are some who are in such despair over where we are or where they believe that we are heading that what they ache for is a return to what was. We can't go back. Because God is calling us into God's future. And walking with God means walking with God into God's future. The people of Israel struggled. They struggled at times. Because they so desperately wanted to go back. And sometimes backwards. And sometimes it was because they were, they were so afraid. And, and they had such deep despair. They they sort of struggled to move forward into God's future. I mean, look no farther than the wilderness wanderings. (laughs) So God does this huge, amazing, catastrophically good sort of thing in liberating the people of God out from under the thumb of Pharaoh and and gets them, y'all, across the Red Sea. And you know what they did a couple chapters later? Man, I sure wish we could get back there. I mean, there was a chicken in every pot, at least, back there. Moses, why can't we go back? And I think it so angered God that the punishment was meted out, let's say, the discipline was meted out over the course of 40 years. This is a really hard question that's asked in this passage of Scripture today, and here's the question. What has more power and authority in your life? What God has done or who God is? Wait a minute, wait a minute, John. Some of what I understand to be true about who God is, I I sense and I see in what God has done. Absolutely agree, absolutely agree. And in fact, we need to continue to remember so as not to forget what God has done. But what God has done does not equal who God is. 
What God has done is to be learned from and revered and remembered and honored so that we can move forward, not backwards. When religious past, when the religious history becomes shackles around our ankles, we stop, we can still be religious, we just stop being God followers. No, didn't like that one? I like that one. I like that one quite a bit. <laughs> Let, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the backdrop against which we are hearing these words. We're in Isaiah chapter 43. Most people by now believe that what you have in the book of Isaiah is at least two books and probably three books. We're in what we're, we'll call second Isaiah which happens actually a different time period, decades and decades and decades, more than a century after 1st Isaiah. The 2nd Isaiah, we think, is somewhere around 540 or so B.C. In other words, let me put this on the, the historical biblical timeline for you. The people of God have been absolutely wiped out, ripped from the... There cannot be a more horrifying image than this one. Hear me. People marched into town. They defeated all the warriors that you saw your friends and family killed all over the place. And the ones that weren't killed were forcibly ripped out of their homes. They couldn't take very much with them. And they were forced to go 900 miles into captivity where they were forced to live different lives, lives that they didn't necessarily want to live. They were forced to live amongst other languages that they didn't understand. And they asked very important questions like this. Did God forget about us? Did God fail? Is God real? Are their gods bigger than our God? All of these questions which make life a living hell were asked in the exile. At the close of the exile, though, somewhere around 540 B.C., God seems to have enlisted the help of Cyrus, king of Persia. <laughs> and Cyrus, king of Persia, wipes out the Babylonians. And Cyrus, king of Persia, says to these hostages, these Jewish folks, would you like to go home? And some of them said, yes. And some of them said, ah, I'm not sure, because bad as captivity is, we've been here 40-some-odd years, and we're kind of used to it. And it's 900 miles back, and it's not an easy trip. And there are like dangerous animals out there like jackals and ostriches. You may not know this, but ostriches are dangerous, y'all. <laughs> That's what's happening here. The prophet is speaking for God and saying to the people, now, very close, if not already liberated from Babylonian captivity, it's time to go home. What do you say? And some, some are saying, no. Nope. God is, again, calling the people of God. Let's go. We're, we're going to make the future. We're going to do this together. Let's go. Come with me. And some folks, some folks are saying, nope, nope. It's too frightening. That's what's going on here. And so God says to them, this is at the beginning of the chapter, we're going to kind of work up to our verses today. Thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, nickname for these people of God, he who formed you, Israel, I love this, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. 
I have called you by name, and you are mine. Oh, some of my favorite words here. It goes on to say, when you pass through the waters, and he's trying to talk to them about the long trek home here. I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I am bigger than Cyrus. I am bigger than the Babylonian kings. I am bigger than the Pharaohs. I am bigger than all of this. I made all of this, and if you'll just come with me, we'll make our future together. He is expressing his love for this people, even differentiating between these people, the people of God, and other people. Listen to this. I gave Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my sight and honored, I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. And now some of us are, that kind of sets off some alarm bells for us. That doesn't sound good. Felt like God should probably love everybody. Yeah, that probably does feel like God should love everybody. But hear this, God loves these people. So much, so much, they are so precious in his sight that he's willing to make the deals and the bargains to conserve and preserve these people and the opportunity they would have to put skin and flesh in what it means to be the people of God, the presence of God among us. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, For your sake, I will send to Babylon and break down all the bars. I'm about to wipe out Babylon. And the shouting of the Chaldeans shall be turned into lamentation. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. This is an old artistic representation of Cyrus, King of Persia. And I want you to hear this again because it's really important today. God is so big and so smart so strong, God's arms are so long that God can use folks to do the bidding of God without them knowing it. That's smart and strong. And God is saying right out loud and says it a lot, Cyrus, king of Persia, doesn't know it, but he's working for me. Trust me, I've got this. Let's go home. Let's go home. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea. Remember? He says, now, you're, remember, I'm the, the same God. Like you, you like to tell one another the stories of the Exodus. You like to do that somehow. You like to sit around campfires and say, man, there was this time when Pharaoh thought he got the best of God, but man, God showed him. You, you like to tell these stories. A path in the mighty waters who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they're extinguished, quenched like a wick. Yeah, God's saying, I did all of those things. Now, this is really interesting. But do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. What? Have you noticed that this particular season of Lent, these Old Testament passages have allowed me to say week in and week out, do not forget to remember Do not forget to remember. Remember, remember, remember what God has done, who we have seen God to be. Here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. Some people get so rooted in history that they fear and despair for the present and the future. And the people of God, where they were in captivity at the time, chose the history and chose against, or in the process of choosing against, 
God's present, and God's future. Hear me. That still happens. Everybody, everybody with me? That still happens. There are good, great, believing folks who would rather choose the past than the present and the future. Is it possible to make an idol out of the works of God? Yes. If in clutching to the past, you were saying to God, this is the only way in which I understand you to be God. Just a small case in point. There are some people who believe not just this church, right? But there are some people who believe that the church, capital C, is spiraling out of control. Spiraling out of control. And what they really want is a return to yesteryear. Way back when, they want to return to yesteryear. And by the way, this is not just older people. And it's certainly not all older people. They want to go back to a time when they believe things were simpler. It was easier to keep score. It was easier to hand out the labels. They want to go back. But God's not going back. God's going forward. That side, like, I'm going to come over here because I'm not sure if you heard it over here, so... But God's not going back. God's moving forward. To a people stuck in their own history, where God certainly did huge and great things, to a people stuck in their own history, God says, stop that. And beyond saying, stop being shackled to my past, says God, watch this. I'm about to do a new thing. (laughs) Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And even the way that the question is asked, there is the implication. I'm doing a new thing, and you do not see it. I'm doing a new thing, and you do not perceive it. And I'm doing a huge new thing. Here's how big. Rivers in the desert big. Most deserts don't have rivers. If and when a desert has a river, Something huge has happened. Something big has happened. And God is saying, I'm always doing something big and huge if you'll pay attention to me and not what was. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. (laughs) Here's what's interesting. Jackals and ostriches show up earlier in the book of Isaiah as evidence that everything has, in fact, spiraled out of control. I mean, you have jackals and ostriches mentioned earlier in the book of Isaiah. When God is screaming God's judgment, not against Israel in these moments, but against all of Edom, the enemies of God and the enemies of the people of God. The people of God have not been faithful. They have wandered into oncoming traffic. They've been exiled, and now God is angry. God is angry. 
but not just at the people of God. And God is saying, and this is not what I wanted creation to be. Everything is deteriorating and devolving. And now we have these places that are so dead, the only movement you see around are this, <coughs> it's the occasional jackal, the occasional ostrich. So these two animals' symbols of the devolving of all of creation, symbols of the deathly nature of decreation, even those animals are swept up in the new thing God is trying to do through the people of God. I want you to hear that again. Even these animals seem to be swept up in the new thing that God is trying to do through the people of God. All of creation gets swept up in the new thing that God is trying to do with the people of God if the people of God will just follow today and tomorrow. Because God's not going back. God's going forward. These people whom I formed for myself so that they may declare my praise. In other words, worship is not just what we do when I finally get out of the way and Brandon and today the kids lead us in worship. That's, that's not the fullest definition of worship. Worship is who we are when we leave this place. And what does our skin on life look like then? When we, when we leave this place, we have the capacity and the opportunity every week as we leave to continue to worship in the way that we relate in the way that we decide and discern, in the way that we converse, in the way that we decide, in the way that we spend, in the ways that we vote. We have the capacity and the opportunity to be the people of God out there. And God has always, always, always wanted to have a people to call his own so that people looking on could know something about this God and what this God wants. It really breaks down when the people of God say, I want what was, not what can be. It really breaks down when the people of God say, I want what was, not what can be as I follow, as we follow. This is us last Easter. I can tell because I don't wear a suit that often. But this is us a long time ago. I love this. Now, you may not be able to, to see it. But there above where it says First Church of the Nazarene and above that, that first set of windows there, between the two sets of windows, there's actually a neon sign. We can't find it. Lee and I have been trying to find it. We can't find this neon sign. But that neon sign says the singing church. First of all, y'all, we had a neon sign. <laughs> The singing church. And if you're new to, to, to this place, um, then this will be new. If you're not new, you've heard this before, and maybe you're getting tired of it. Please don't get tired of it. This church has a history of music. Oh, This church used to rent out and sell out the Civic Center for nights of worship and nights of song. Pastors through our history who have been singers. We've had a Grammy winner as a pastor before. R.T. Williams had his own radio show and a TV show as well. The singing pastor. The singing pastor. 
We're going back here, and I've announced this before, but, uh, but I want you to know why we're going back here. But if you haven't gotten this on your calendar, I want you to get it on your calendar for Sunday night, August 28th. We're going back. We're going back there. And Lee Nichols' quartet's going to sing, and the Tollers are going to sing, and my old quartet's going to sing. We're going to sing, 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 and we're going to very intentionally, intentionally connect the dots between all that has been and all that is so that we can draw this line, this sense of trajectory to see where it is that God is taking us. Love and revere and honor and respect the launching pad that our particular history around here has been for us, because it's not just musical in nature. That is the church. That is the church right there with questionable parking situation. (laughs) (laughs) But that is the church right there that completely invested itself in neighborhood ministry that resulted in the likes of Ron Wheeler. So some of what we do today is built on the shoulders of what was done way back here. Now listen, I want to connect those dots. And I want to have this concert, and we'll even go all the way back there, but not so that we can go back there as a church and be who we were, but so that we can honor what was and how it launched us to be who we are today and where we're headed in the future. Because I believe very deeply as I know many of you do, that God is always doing a new thing. The question is not whether or not God is doing a new thing. The question is, as you see in Scripture, whether or not we can perceive it. And what is most likely to keep us from being able to perceive it? Fear, despair. I believe that God is doing a new thing in and through and around us. If you move to Canada, you will miss it. But I'm trying to make a larger point than just that one. I hope you see that. When our steps are ordered by our fear and despair, We're not going to be ready for the new thing God is doing. We won't even perceive it. When our steps, hear me, hear me, hear me, and we're about done. When our steps are ordered by fear and despair, in those very moments, it will be very hard for us to be the people of God because God is always moving forward and frightened people want to sit down and build forts. And lots of things scare us. It's not just an election, is it? There are lots of things that will cause us to wonder whether or not God is God. And while we as a people have not perhaps experienced exile, certainly not the way that ancient Israel did, maybe we do know something that feels a little bit like abandonment. Maybe we do know of the kind of life situations that cause us to wonder whether or not God is God, whether or not God's paying attention, whether or not this God is in fact bigger and stronger than. And whatever that situation, 
Whatever the scenario is that causes you to wonder whether or not God is God, if it has plunged you into deep despair, if your steps are ordered by fear, that's your dead weight. Let's cut that away. I'm just your pastor, but at times God grants me the opportunity to say things because I'm your pastor, like, I now pronounce you, (laughs) right? Maybe this is one of those times, hear this. As a spokesman for God, I want to invite you into God's future. As a spokesman for God, you are hereby invited into God's future. And by the way, God is the biggest. As the person of God, at least for this moment right here, right now, today, I get to say to you, we won, we are winning, we will win, and you're invited to participate in that victory and to leave your despair here. If you were helping us today, would you come to prepare these elements? And God, do bless these elements. And with them, God, help us Help us to remember what you would like for us to remember and help us to forget what you'd like for us to forget. Father, we dare not make idols out of the past. Because when we make idols out of the past, typically for reasons of despair or fear, We know that we are less likely to follow you into a new and perhaps risky and dangerous future, at least as far as we're concerned. But may we see in this ritual, this ceremony, that there is this possibility of remembering well. We remember well, God, when we remember this story and we don't remember the story for the story's sake but because of what it tells us about you. So bless these elements, God. And by them, strengthen us to be your people today and tomorrow. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand and exit your pew to the left. And then come forward and approach two people. One will be holding bread. As you approach, please approach with your hands cupped, ready to receive this gift. As you approach the person with the bread, that person will say to you, well, here is a a broken piece of the body of Christ, a body of Christ broken for you, and they'll press it into your hands. 
don't eat it just yet, but take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup held by the person standing also right there. When you do, that person will say to you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then church, especially those of you who know that you are stopped or at least slowed down by fear or despair. Church, find a place to pray. If you come to kneel at one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing and someone will meet you there and pray that prayer for healing along with you. And perhaps you need a prayer for healing that is physical in nature, but it might be mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, theological in nature. We believe that prayers for healing are effective, powerful and effective. You're welcome to come to one of these kneeling benches as well. There for all kinds of prayers. You, you can pray a prayer today if you're not at the least bit afraid or in despair. Maybe you have a prayer of thanksgiving that you want to pray. Well, that prayer is welcome here. No matter what kind of prayer you're praying here, you will not pray it by yourself. At some point, somebody, maybe me, is going to touch you on the shoulder, back of the head, and help you to know that you are not alone, that this is, in some sense, a team sport. Or you can circle back around. Certainly, you can circle right back around and pray in your pew. God hears those prayers as well. I'm sure of it. If you can't come to us, Jason and Katie will come to you. Just make sure you catch them somehow. Who is welcome at this table? Well, at this table, all are welcome who understand their need for grace. And I really mean it when I say all. All who understand their need for grace. You are all welcome. You don't have to be fixed. You don't have to be right. If you understand your need for grace, you've come to the right place. Because on the night that he was betrayed, that our Savior took this bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, now broken for you. Every time you eat this bread, remember me. Oh, that's important, he said. Don't just remember the meal. Don't just remember the story. Remember me, says Jesus. In the same way, he took the cup and he held it before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant poured out for you. And every time you drink of it, remember me, says Jesus. Church, remember him. Remember this Jesus. The best thing that you can remember today, the best thing, the best thing you can remember today is the Jesus whose body was broken and whose blood was shed for us. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, come forward and receive these gifts, gifts of God for the people of God.
Father, we confess we confess that there are days when we are so inundated with evidence, <laughs> with evidence to the contrary. We confess that we can sink into fear and despair and ache for former days. So confess, Lord, that it's in those moments that we have the hardest time believing that both the present and the future are still in your hands. We confess it, Lord, and we seek your forgiveness that somehow, God, you would be able to, in your grace, both forgive us for this and then move us beyond it. understand them not just as evidence of our being forgiven, but as sustenance, nourishment, the energy that we would need to be something more than we've been. So we pray this prayer of confession to a loving, imaginative, covenantal God. Now, Lord, we bring you these other requests, these issues that afflict us here in our local context. In these few moments of intercessory prayer, we want to turn our hearts and our prayers towards a few folks and issues around the nation and world, which we'll pray together as a congregation. So would you please pray together for me for Dr. Gerard Tashton and his wife, Donis. Tashton's Deaconess Emergency Room and I now undergoing tests after passing out during this morning's service. We ask that uh, as a church, would you pray now for these moments for our, our pastor, our mentor, our beloved professor and his wife now. As a church, we pray for Dr. Tashton and his wife. We offer God that you would bring alongside of him, come alongside of him and bring your healing, your comfort, and your peace. Most likely you came into this place this morning knowing a situation in your life where someone needed healing. And that can be physical touch. It can be emotional healing. That can be mental health issue. That can be an issue relationally in a, in a relationship. So as God brings that person to your mind now, would you pray for them and ask God to bring his healing touch, hope, and future to a dark and desolate, maybe even fearful place. Jesus, we bring those things to you in our lives as well that at times 
bring us and fill us with fear. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be with our nation and our world. God, that you would bring peace in your presence. Would you pray for that as in these next few moments as Pastor Lisa leads us in our children's prayers as well. If you'll join me in viewing the prayers that our kids have prayed over the last month, they'll be on the screen. his disciples to pray using debt and debtors. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not 